Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 4 of the In Context podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to ask if you could please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to this, either Apple, Spotify, wherever else it is. Um, it would mean a great deal if you're feeling generous. You could even leave a nice review. It genuinely does mean a lot. Now for this episode, we're gearing slightly away from the news um, cycle topics and the serious topics, and we're talking about something um, various topics that are a bit more easy to digest, but it doesn't mean it's any less interesting. I actually think it's one of the most interesting conversations I've ever had with one of the most interesting people. Um, my guest is an entrepreneur, a motivational speaker, an award-winning comedian, and a best-selling author. So please enjoy my conversation with Gavin Oates. So you're a motivational speaker, an entrepreneur, award-winning comedian, best-selling author, and also I saw on your website, World Hide and Seek Champion. I'm going to have to need to get an explanation <laughs> for that in a bit. But um, you started out as a primary school teacher. Um, why? Do you know why what? Choose that? So all the way through school, um, so there was two or three things in my head that I was always going to do. One of them was I was going to end up some kind of teacher purely because mum was a teacher. My mum was a PE teacher. Um, and I used to help out. She actually worked in a school with children with very severe additional needs. And I used to go in and help out with like swimming galas, um, you know, basketball competitions. And I absolutely adore that I just loved being able to go and get involved, have fun, but help, just help in some way. Um, so I, I knew I was always going to end up in the classroom, but I also had this incredible obsession, and I really do mean obsession with stand-up comedy. Um, and I always remember thinking, these are, the, these are the two things I'm going to do. I'm going to be able to do both of these things. What I didn't know is that in years to come, I would discover that they're kind of the same thing, if I'm being honest. Um, but the, to go back to your original question, it's for me, I've just been one of these people who just always wanted to make a difference. Um, I think primary school teaching appealed to me more than secondary because instead of just focusing on one subject, uh, there are, I think it's 17 or 18 individual subjects and some, uh, and the thought of being able to do P, drama, maths, English, everything uh, just was really appealing. And I'm glad I did it because... I reckon I learned more working with kids under the age of 10 than I ever did with any adult. And I think I've been more inspired by kids under the age of 10 than I ever have by any adult. So yes, yeah, for me, it's one of the best jobs in the world. What, what would you say is the main difference between children and adults? Do you know, I think adults and children are all awesome uh, in the main part. Um, I think one of the challenges that I have and I talk about this a lot in my work and I write about it a lot in my books um, there is a there is this huge shift in mindset of course as we grow up you know we we learn what it's like to fail we learn what it's like to be judged we learn what it's like to be bullied we learn what it's like to to not be liked and know what that feels like and so of course as we go I, I, I talk about there's there's a I think there's this kind of moment if you think about kids right there's three things kids are amazing at one they always well there's lots of things they're amazing at but if we think about this in terms of mindset um kids always want things to be more fun and more exciting like they walk into a room and you know when you're five and your eyes are scanning for the fun for the excitement for the color for the the play or whatever it is you're looking for um uh two they believe things are possible everything 
and three, they know things are worth the effort, which is why they'll, they'll build Lego for six hours and then trash it and start again, which is why they'll go out and build a den, even though they've been told, but it's going to rain in an hour. And this, that particular moment there, that last example I gave there, is something I mention a lot. And it's this idea that I reckon there's far too many grown-ups in this world. Um, in fact, let's, let's, let, we'll keep that bit separate. There's too many grown-ups, and that's spelled G-R-O-A-N. That's a separate thing. Uh, but if we go back to traditional grown-ups, spelled G-R-O-W-N, um, there's far too many grown-ups in this world who have made that shift in their head and in their heart from being the type of person who wanted to go outside and build a den but they've moved, they've shifted to become the type of person that thinks and says, but it's going to rain in an hour. And for me, that kind of sums up the big difference, not, not between every adult and child, but between most. Because if you look at those three things again, through the eyes of an adult, you know, always wanting things to be more fun and more colorful, and more, more exciting. I know I do always in everything that I do, but I also know a lot of adults who don't. Secondly, we have to believe things are possible. That's difficult when we're grown-ups, you know, when you've maybe got financial restrictions, you've got to work, you've got to pay a mortgage, etc. Um, and I think also there's a lot of us out there that are overthinkers. You know, the older we get, the more we overthink. Some of us are huge overthinkers. There's lots of anxiety in the world. So it's hard to believe that everything's possible. And lastly, um, this idea of things being worth the effort. As adults, that means something different. That means that uh, in the short term, it's going to be awful and we're going to have to work hard and we're going on a journey of change. Whereas kids get excited about that stuff. So I've no idea if that answered your question, Gregor, but that's my... No, on it. Well, one of the other things you mentioned in your TEDx talk was your first day as a primary school teacher walking yeah. into the staff room and seeing all the gloomy faces yeah. on a Monday after they've had two days off. Yeah. Why do you think there's so many gloomy faces just in the world in general on a Monday after they've had two days off? Do you think it is it just the wrong career choice? What? No, Why I think. I, well, I think you get that in many workplaces, no matter what uh, yeah. what it is you've chosen to do. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's many, many schools I've worked in as a teacher, uh, and in the job that I do now as a speaker, where you know you walk into a staff room in a primary or a secondary school, and you're met by lots of smiling faces. Um, but I think the challenge we have with Mondays in this world is that we have been trained for generations to believe that Mondays are the worst day of the week. I mean, there's people out there who lose their entire Sunday because tomorrow's Monday. You know, there's people call it the Sunday sads, the Sunday blues. Um, you know, they, they, they talk about this thing called Blue Monday, uh, which is the uh, officially recognized as the most unhappy and depressing day of the year. And it's the third Monday of every January. Now, Blue Monday was invented in 2005 by a marketing guy to, on behalf of a, a well-known high street travel agent to convince you and I and everyone else to part with our hard-end cash and go book holidays. And they talked about things like how they based it on this formula of uh, time of year, weather, um, the shortness of daylight, um, time passed since Christmas, debt accrued since Christmas, all that sort of stuff. Um, but of course, it's all nonsense. They, they made the whole thing up. But what did we do in the UK? We accepted it. Why? Because we love it. You know, there's an awful lot of people out there, I think, relishing the fact they get to wake up on a Monday and be like, oh, well, it's Monday again. I can't be bothered. I love Mondays, Gregor. And, I, you know, I talk about this a lot and people are like, oh, you're, but you're, you're weird. Why? <laughs> a, a, a Monday is a seventh of my life. Like, there are people out there literally spend a seventh of their life a bit less happy because it's a Monday. My personal view on that is, I don't think that's okay. So I do think uh, there's been this thing that just my parents 
I learned from them that Mondays were dreadful. Their parents taught them, their parents taught them. And, um, you know, we need more people in the world to turn that around. So I say Friday, your Monday, shift that mindset and uh, get cracking. And what do you think, so you did another video that's on YouTube about you finding your why. So yeah. for anyone listening, maybe like a purpose, a calling, that kind of thing. Yeah. Do you think schools are failing to help kids find their why? Find enough, like help enough kids find their why? Um, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> that's a big question, Gregor, because I think, so the first thing I'm going to say is that I think there are some incredible teachers out there doing some absolutely unbelievable things to help young people um, and, and, and all across the country, at all ages and all stages. Um, yeah. And I think, I know a lot of head teachers and a lot of deputies, a lot of teachers, a lot of classroom support staff who are on a day-to-day basis going above and beyond to help young people find their way in life, whether that's a why, a purpose, or just a simple, I might like to do this for a job, you know? Um, so like I said, that's a really big question because I think there are, I think, I think the world in many ways is failing our young people, uh, when it comes to this stuff. I, I'm not sure if it's the schools that are, are I'm, I'm sure there are people out there in schools that shouldn't be in schools. We all know that and are probably getting it really, really wrong. There's some terrible teachers out there, but I, I, I wouldn't ever dream of putting that on the schools. I think the world is failing young people in so many ways and I think you know I, I you know as we are recording this right now you know we're in the middle of a, a pandemic you know it's whilst things are a bit better than they were it's looking like it's not getting too good again and I think um, COVID-19 aside if we can move that out of the way for a minute there is no better time for young people to be alive I mean you look at what they've got at their fingertips you look at the technology you look at um you know the the extraordinary access that we have to everything and anything now now that's not always a positive again but i think um you know we need to we i think we need to realize and remember how incredible young people are um and give them the trust and the respect that they that they deserve i think i think young people particularly teenagers get a a, a rough ride in the in the press and the media they're often described as um, you know, whether it's lazy, whether it's troublesome, whether it's bored, whether it's this, but actually the work that we do in schools, I meet teenagers continuously who are just so inspiring and are so keen to make a difference in the world and contribute something amazing. And I think schools actually do a pretty good job at giving them the opportunities and the platforms to do that. I think sometimes we maybe need to point the finger at parents a little bit. Um, I think, um, I think the teachers also get a, a rough ride uh, when it comes to this stuff. So I think there's a huge amount of responsibility lies with the parents to encourage our young people to be considering their purpose in the world. Uh, it's, it's, it's a good thing to talk about around the dinner table if we're even sitting at the dinner table anymore and not sitting staring at screens. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned in your book the importance of learning. Why... Why do you think learning is important, not just for young people, but also just throughout life? Why, why is learning so important? I think I'm one of these people that has a fear I'm going to get bored. Um, I hate being mm-hmm. bored. Um, and I think, you know, when you look at the science of boredom, actually, we need a wee bit of boredom in our lives. It's, it's, it has its benefits. But I think, you know, if you go beyond that, that, 
that place of being bored, you start slipping into becoming just apathetic. You know, you, you, you stop caring. And I never, ever want to be one of those people who stops caring about the world, about like just creating something brilliant for the world. And so it's not, you know, learning is important, but learning how to learn is important. You know, again, this is great stuff that happens in our schools, but you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm always worried that I'm going to be one of these people that gets to a point where I, I, I retire and I realize I've just done the same thing every single day for, for, for my entire life. You mentioned at the start of this, all the different things that I've done throughout my career. Um, I can't say I'm one of these people that can't settle. Um, I, I, it, it backfires sometimes, you know, I can take on too much, get myself a bit stressed and a bit, a bit worn out. And that's always, that's always dangerous. But, um, yeah, I think uh, learning provides so many opportunities. It opens so many doors. It also helps you to close some doors. You know, you can, you can, uh, you know, the more we spend our time investing in our, our personal learning, our personal development journey, um, the more we were able to work out actually what our purpose is and close the door on the bits of our life that are not making us happy. Um, and I think that's really important. I think that's really key. I think, you know, there's too many people out there um, allowing the negatives to, to play a, a pretty big role in their lives. Um, too many people having crap days. I, I'm a firm believer that you, you are what you think. And uh, you know, there was a TV show years ago that used to tell us you are what you eat. Nonsense. You are what you think. And you and I will know lots of people, Gregor, who think in a particular way. And I try really hard every day to make sure I'm not one of them. There's, I feel like there's also this expectation in our society that pushes people to one thing. So you, you do that job, that's your job, you're going to do that for the rest of your life. Yeah. And it's the people who do all these different things, I mean, like yourself, but other, other examples would be Kevin Hart's a good example, because you could call him a stand-up comedian, but someone else yeah. could also call him a movie star. Yeah. And Joe Rogan's another one. One, one person would call him a UFC commentator, one person with podcast, one stand-up comedian. There's yeah. all these different things that people, no, one's, no one ever really said you have to actually do one thing. You can, you can go mix and match and do different things. And that, that'll, that'll cure the boredom. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, there's this fantastic um, initiative all across Scotland that's been running for the last few years uh, in schools uh, by de uh, developing the young workforce called No Wrong Path. And I, and I love the sentiment behind No Wrong Path. You know, if you look at most people's journeys to where they are now, you know, it'd be so great if, if young people were able to, to have more access to that. And of course, that initiative is doing a great job. But, you know, I think, you know, when I left school, um, that was back in the, the late 90s when I finished high school, and you were very much expected to go to university, get a job, and that was you. Um, and I love the fact that now that actually well, the other thing that was interesting back then was if you didn't go to university, it was almost, you were almost considered second best. Whereas now... I feel like it was pretty much the same when I was at school as well. Yeah. And, and it's nice to see that we're moving, we're moving on and moving away from that now. And, you know, college, the, the, what college offers now is incredible. You know, apprenticeships are just extraordinary, you know, just or, or go straight into the world of work now and work your way up and or take a gap year. There is literally no wrong path. And I think, I think by introducing more and more of this thinking in these initiatives is going to help our future generations to realize that you don't have to just stick to one thing. I mean, let's be honest, there's nothing wrong if you find your thing and that's you. But that was one of the things I loved about teaching 
um, especially in the primary schools, is no no two days were the same. Of course, you had a bit of structure, a bit of routine, but no two days were the same. You know, you had the same 25 kids or so from nine o'clock to half past three. And one day you're talking about Egyptians. The next day you're going to space. You know, the next day you're out doing physical education uh, outside and you know, then you're doing crazy experiments and then you're making cakes and ah, it's just brilliant. And, and it keeps you on your toes. And that's one of the things I love about, you know, being a, a professional speaker now is that when you are traveling the world and you are on a stage every day, it was the same with the comedy stuff. You, you don't have an opportunity to settle. You know, you, you have to be thinking about what's next. You have to be thinking about how you, even in the moment, you know, when you're on that stage and you've got 500 people sat in front of you, and you all of a sudden you find yourself going off on a tangent and you need to pull it back to the thing that they asked you to come and speak about. You know, your your brain's just on the go. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, that can backfire sometimes. You can have a bit too much going on, but it's, uh, yeah. So, no, I think I think it's important that we we help people out there to understand that um, choice is good and uh, you're allowed to explore different options for sure. And so, um, talking about your public speaking, how how did you get over fears of public speaking or getting on the stage how, how did you just get over that and become a professional speaker because there's been man there's been times when i've been having to do talks or something like that uni or stuff like that and whoa, like the last one i've done it was for sociological theory which was like a different language to me it was it generally was yeah. and it was only it was, it was in front of maybe about 15 people in that class and i got up and I could feel my legs like shaking uncontrollably. And I'm, I, I was so sure no one could actually see, but I'm looking at people's faces and some of them are just staring down at my legs. And I don't, yeah, how, 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 can, you be, how can I be a better speaker? Maybe that's a better question. Well, it's, it's funny because I think, you know, the situation you're describing there, we've, we've all been there, we've all had it, we've all felt it, and many of us continue to, to have it, maybe on a slightly different level than, than when we first started out. But there's a wonderful... Um, comic strip by a comedian called Damien Clark, an Australian guy. And it's just two boxes, two cartoon uh, comic strip boxes. And the top box says, um, the view from the stage. And you're looking out as if you're looking out through the eyes of the comedian. So you see the top of the microphone and all you see is like a hundred faces rammed together, all smiling and laughing. And then the box below it, it says what the comedian sees. And every single face uh, has been removed apart from one. And it's a really grumpy, angry looking face. And it's only when you see that you look back up to the top one and you realize that in amongst all the happy faces, there was, he's still there, that wee grumpy guy. And I think, you know, I've, I've been doing this for, for a number of, I'm over, you know, I think I'm in my 16th or 17th year now as a professional speaker. And, you know, before that and during that, I've done comedy all over the world. I, I was a teacher before that. So even that, you know, up in front of an audience every day. And still to this day, it doesn't matter what event I'm talking at, whether it's a workshop with, I don't know, 15 people or a giant room with 1,500 people, I still see that one person. And my eyes just keep going straight back to the grumpy one, the miserable one, the one that's not enjoying it. Even though there's, you know, 100 people in the room having a ball or 99 out of 100 having a ball and one's not, it's all I can see and it's all I can think about. I can feel my heart going. So I guess I'm sharing that for your listeners to, to realize that actually it doesn't matter how experienced you are, we, we still get nervous. But your original question of how did I get over it, I just kept doing it. That's it. You know, if I go back to the first time I did stand-up, I'm 17 years old. 
Um, never been on stage in my life ever. Um, never. Um, I, I always had that sort of ambition to do comedy, but I'd never done any drama at school. I'd, I was too nervous, too shy. I was the kid that always took a beamer, always went red and people took the piss out of me and it was awful. So, but when I went to uni to be a primary school teacher, I found myself having to get up in front of 20 to 30 kids. Um, and I realized that I have to learn to engage with them on a level that takes them on this journey every day where you entertain them, you enlighten them and you educate them. You know, you come in, you want to capture them straight away and you want them to walk out the door feeling good and, you know, and actually quite excited about coming back tomorrow. So when we started doing stand up in my head, it was, it was the same thing. It's just, it was adults rather than kids in the room. I had to capture them straight away, take them on a journey, entertain them. If I can enlighten them and educate them on something, that would be cool as well. And make sure they're walking out the door buzzing and thinking, I'd like to see that guy again. Um, and that was my approach to it. But in all honesty, I have never been so scared as I was first gig. And I remember exactly where it was. It was Aberdeen University Student Union, the old student union that doesn't even exist anymore. Um, and it was um, 1997. And um, I was, uh, it was called the Daily Telegraph Open Mic Awards. And it was myself and my mate Rory. We did a wee double act and we were given five minutes and we were on first and there was 250 people in the room. And do you know what? Even just thinking about it now, I can feel it. I can feel <laughs> it. I, I feel like I'm going to like bulk. You know, it's, I mean, it's not a nice feeling. And we decided, we worked really hard for it. Like we, we wrote this five piece like beautifully and like we really, really honed it and we rehearsed it and rehearsed it and rehearsed it. And we had this plan, we'll, We'll go for food beforehand. And of course, we both ordered food and we're sitting there staring at this plate of stuff. And I couldn't eat it. I thought it was going to be sick. It was absolutely horrendous. But as soon as we were on stage um, and got that first laugh in, it just, it just kind of went away. Um, and I, I came off stage five minutes later. Uh, I mean, it felt like about three seconds. The whole thing just flew past. But I, I came off stage and thought, I want to I do that again. I want to feel that again. So a couple of weeks later, we got the chance to do another one. But this time, we bombed. I, like, I mean, we bombed. We, there was about 100 people booing, swearing, shouting, get off. Uh, our stuff was all character-based sketches. People are shouting, would you just tell us an effing joke? And, oh, man, like it was awful. Um, but then I came off stage, and I was a bit flat for a couple of days. But then I kept remembering that first one, thinking, but I want, I want that feeling again. So... I thought the only way to get that is to get better, to get back on stage, keep going. So we kept pushing and pushing with the comedy, finished my teaching degree, uh, and then slowly but surely my career took a bit of a, a shift into out of the classroom and onto the stage with public speaking. And, and I still get nervous, though. I still get really, really nervous to this day. Not as much as I used to, but if I'm doing something new, it's awful. Won't sleep the night before, but once it's done, it's the best feeling in the world. Mm. Um, and so, since you do a lot of different things, you must be fairly busy. But do you think busy is a good word? Is it good to say you're busy, or is there a better word to, or a better way of being? Because I think people do take pride in saying, "Oh, I'm so busy. I've been so busy this past weekend." Yeah. Like that. Is, that, is that is that good? Is that a good thing? Um, I think it's good to be productive. Um, I think one of the biggest problems we have with busyness at the moment is there's an awful lot of people out there busy being busy. Like they, they're not doing anything. They're not, they're not actually being as creative or as productive as I bet that they, they want to be. So I think there's an awful lot of people just 
being busy, but they probably can't tell you actually what, what that means. Um, I wrote a book a couple of years ago with Dr. Andy Cope. Now, Andy Cope is the UK's first ever doctor of happiness. Um, he's an amazing guy. And the book was called Shine. And um, in, in Shine, we, we, we talk about, uh, we, we, share, we share a little saying that is, we think people should do less and be more. Uh, now, that will mean different things to different people on all sorts of levels. But I love this idea of do less, be more. We live in a time where we are so busy but it's our brains that are busy. Um, you know, if you think about, you know, I mentioned earlier how incredible technology is, and it is, but if you think about the problems that it's causing as well, you know, we've got the whole world. I mean, I've got my phone sitting beside me. You know, we've got pretty much the entire world in our hands. Accessible, what, 24 hours a day, but that also means that I'm accessible 24 hours a day if I want to be. You know, some of us wake up in the morning and the first thing we do is we dive into our phones and we scroll. We go to bed at night. We lie beside our partners and we, we just scroll. You know, it's, that's not okay. There'll be lots of people listening to this and watching this who, who do just that. They don't talk anymore. They just scroll. Um, Saturday night TV, I remember as a kid sitting down with my family to watch things like Knight Rider and Gladiators and Baywatch and the A-Team. And, but as a family, we were in it together. Like we laughed and cheered and whooped and gasped together at the same time. Whereas, um, you know, a lot of families don't do that now because, well, they've just looked at Facebook 10 times, they're Snapchatting, they're Instagramming, they've checked their emails, and actually there's not just the TV screen on the go, there's probably five or six screens in that room that are on the go. So we're all physically in the same room, but we're not present. Um, and the science and psychology behind that is no different from me than just being in another town. It, it has the exact same impact on, on the other humans in the room. So I think we live in a time where we are too busy in our heads uh, rather than being productive in our work or our art or whatever whatever it is that we uh, we do so do i think busy is a good word i think it's okay to be busy depends on what you're busy doing i guess and if you're just busy sitting thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and worrying and stressing it's not helpful and it's it's unhealthy and we need to look out for each other and look out for ourselves you know if people are uh, allowing their brains to get a wee bit too busy can you imagine how many miles we've scrolled with our thumbs gregor <laughs> No. Yeah. A million years from now, we're just going to be thumbs. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's a worrying, worrying thought. What um, what what advice would you have then for being better with technology or better with social media, and to avoid the negative tropes of it? Well, I think I mean, social media can, as we know, is is an amazing thing. It can be really useful and really helpful. And there's a lot, a lot of great people to connect with, and a lot of great things to learn about. Um, I think I think what's really important for me personally um, is to switch off, um, to make the effort, you know, to purposefully switch off my phone. Um, I removed a lot of apps from my phone um, about two years ago. Uh, you know, things like Facebook. You know, I, I removed the app so that in order for me to check my Facebook, I have to log in. And let's be honest, we live in a time now where we can't be bothered logging in anymore. We just want everything at, instantly. So actually, I, I tend to look at Facebook. Well, I, I do look at Facebook way, way less than I used to. And it might sound a bit dramatic, but I, I feel healthier for it, Gregor. I actually feel better for it. Um, I think, uh, you know, I removed quite a lot of stuff off my phone, actually. Um, so therefore, I found myself looking at my phone less and less. Of course, what's been interesting during lockdown is we're all looking at screens more and more. Uh, I mean, my entire day now is 
is Zoom and Teams and Google Hangouts and you know, recording videos and doing live virtual presentations for businesses and schools. Well, not schools recently, obviously they're on holiday, but um, so, so yeah, um, I think uh, it's important that people turn off, you know, especially if you have, I think especially if you've got family, you know, especially if you've got, you know, even if you don't have kids, you should do this. But I think I have a huge concern about families all just sitting at home with their heads down, um, you know, not talking to each other. I was speaking to a, a play specialist who was telling me about this worry that they have with kids who are very, very young before, you know, coming into nursery. And they talk about this thing called flat hand syndrome. I don't, I don't know if you've heard of this, but if you imagine, so if I take this notebook, for example, if you imagine that's a, a, a tablet, a, an iPad or something, when you're two, you don't, you don't scroll with your thumbs. You do, you do that. Mm. And of course, this flat hand syndrome is coming from the fact that so many kids just get handed a, a tablet now. That's it. Wow. There you go. There's, there's a tablet. So they're sitting for so long, so many hours yeah. in a day, just doing that, that they then come to nursery or primary and struggle to maybe hold a pencil or play with Lego or manipulate like Play-Doh or something like that. And you just think that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's really not okay, you know? Um, and then they also talked about um, the, the lack of eye contact and how so many young kids are struggling to, to look you in the eye yeah. because at home, when they're talking to mum and dad, mum and dad are doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm all for technology, Gregor. Um, it plays a huge part in my business and in my life. Uh, as a family, I've got two young kids and, and my wife, and we use a lot of technology, but we make a real conscious effort to switch off uh, and get some board games out a real conscious effort to switch off. I mean, my son's 12, right? He's that perfect age where he's got his first phone. Uh, he's got a Nintendo Switch. And if if he was allowed, that'd be his life. That would be his life. YouTube, the Switch, Reddit, everything that's gone. But, but we don't allow it. Um, and it was important for us to start that early, right from the off. When he only got his phone when he turned 12. And I know there's people out there who hand iPhones to seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds, which blows my mind. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, even, even, you know, I even struggled giving it to my son, Kean. Like I say, he turned 12 and I didn't want to give him a phone. But then you have that dilemma of, is he going to be the only kid that doesn't have one? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And I can assure you, he didn't get an iPhone. Um, but <laughs> uh, So yeah, I think there's some real positives. There's great. I mean, I've, I've got issues with my lower back at the moment and that's because I'm sitting in front of a screen my whole life has been standing up in front of groups of people but for five months i've been sitting looking at a screen so i found this incredible app that's all to do with mobility and stretching and it puts you through the series of tests to pinpoint where where you're struggling with your mobility and now this app helps me every day there's a 10 minute moment where it lets me know i've got to do these particular stretches it shows me the ones to do for the bit of my back that's amazing and it's actually working like it's making my back but that all happened through my phone so there is a side to technology that is phenomenal, but um, I do worry. I always remember a, a discussion I had with um, a group of young kids in a school, and I said, I'm old enough to remember what it was like to have no mobile phone. Now, they thought this was hilarious. They all just erupted <laughs> into laughter, instantly made me old. But the, the first question that came straight away was, but how did you speak to your friends? And I just thought, wow, okay. And I was like, we, we did this, we we spoke, we spoke words face to face. You went to their house. They thought yeah. I was absolutely crazy. <laughs> um, so yeah. What about you? Do you, do you think, 
do you would you say that you use yours a lot? Are you do you think you take enough time away from from your phone and apps and things? I would say yes, recently. So I, I did the same thing as you. So I deleted Facebook and, and Instagram off, and well, Snapchat, but I didn't use that like much anyway. But yeah. I deleted them off my phone for a while. And I just, I wouldn't look at them at all. The only time I would look at them is I'd maybe go on Facebook through a computer, maybe once a week, something yeah. like that. And then it's only been like the start of lockdown. I re-downloaded them again. And I found I had changed my habit because before I would keep scrolling. Now I don't scroll at all. Yeah. Like on Instagram, I'll maybe just see what my friends are up to and that's it, which yeah. is probably, it's a pretty good way of being because I think w- once, once I did that, I felt a bit closer to my friends because I was able to see what they were doing before I, yeah. wa- I wasn't able to do that. Yeah. So I think I, I'm getting the positive aspects of social media without all the negative parts. Yeah, I no, I get it. The, the yeah. scary thing about Facebook is when you learn about all the psychological tricks they're using. Yeah. And on iPhones as well, the little red notification yeah. number that's red because that plays something in our mind to make us want to get rid of it and yeah. social media like facebook got rid of the scrolling loading thing so that you could just you just keep scrolling so it would never stop and it's, it, unreal. It's, it's crazy and it, the other thing just when we're talking about that it's a great quote about facebook and instagram is facebook and instagram is an advertising company that happens to have social media on it yeah, which I thought was great because there's scary, yeah. scary times where you talk about something and then you go on Facebook and it's there. It's getting advertised there. Oh, it's, like, it, oh, it's you're right. It's so scary. I mean, it happens. So you know, every, every time I go on, I think, hang on, I was literally just talking to my wife about this, or I yeah. looked at that, and yeah, it's um. But where, where does it end? This is the thing. I mean, I see you see these guys that own these big companies on the news. They're all in court. They're too powerful now. They're making too much money. There's no one else can get into the market. I just think what well, I'm loving the fact that they're now pulling people like Trump up on certain issues. You know, was it just yesterday there was a they temporarily suspend they temporarily suspended um, his account or something because there was mis- yeah. he was spreading misinformation about COVID nineteen and okay it's a start but they need to yeah. police this so much more. Um, yeah. I mean, again, I'm all for free speech, but there are there are people on see tw- Twitter for me. Um, uh, of course, you can choose who you follow. That, that's the great thing about it. But Twitter has become just poison. Like, yeah. I cannot believe the stuff that we see and read now. And, and I don't follow people that I think would say these things. Mm-hmm. But I'm still seeing it. Because, of course, people can share stuff. And, all that. and I think, um, yeah, it's, it's scary times when it comes to, to social. But um, I think as individuals, we can all make that conscious decision and, you know, I look at Facebook every now and then and I think, why are you on my Facebook? Like, I don't even know you. Like, we went to school together, okay, but I haven't seen you for, I don't know, 20 years. And why am I reading about the fact you've just washed your car? And actually, (laughs) you only posted that to show us that you've got an Audi anyway. It's, um, yeah, I think, uh, I, I look forward to a time where I think I've, weaned myself off entirely and i'm using the word wean deliberately because i think we are full-on addicts to be honest yeah i think this the problem with this well two two points there and with facebook i with people i don't know i tend to do almost like a cleanse like maybe once a year well i go through my friends and if i haven't spoken to them in that last year or i've not got anything positive from what they've posted i'll just delete them there's no need need to have them on yeah um 
And with, with the problem, I think, with Twitter is you've got such extreme views, and that's maybe 5%, but 1% of the population are on Twitter. They're either spewing, like, hatred and bigotry and stuff like that, or they're, it's the highly sensitive ones that are um, pulling people up for something they've maybe said 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and the problem with that is politicians listen to them. And they're only one. That's not the general population. The general population doesn't really care about any of that. Yeah. Um, so I think that's another problem with specifically Twitter, is that's where you're seeing a lot of the extreme views and it's getting listened to. Yeah. No. As I, I actually, uh, I, I came across a. It was a. I don't. I don't post anything political ever. It's just for yeah. me. It's just not worth. It's not worth the hassle. Of course, I have views on things and 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 whatever else, but I, I don't get involved with that side of things and. On, on social media and but I happened to see somebody posting something to do with what's going on in politics and I just found myself just looking at some of the comments and this is just about maybe three four weeks ago maybe five and I, I spotted a name of somebody that left a comment that I recognized from back at school and I thought oh it's quite a common name sure it's not him no it turns out it is him so this is a guy from my hometown that I went to school with. So I followed him just because that's obviously what you do. And I thought, oh, I've not seen him for years. Be interested to see what he's up to. And it turns out he is an absolute troll, when it, if I can use the proper term for it. Proper right-wing, horrible, nasty, like sharing Katie Hopkins type stuff um, before she got booted, of course. Um, and I was just, like, I couldn't believe what I was saying. So I've, I've instantly unfollowed. Um, but I'm just thinking, you know, we, we grew up, same town, same age, um, same similar sort of upbringing, same school, same sort of same background, so that's just, and I'm just looking at it going, what happened to you? Like, how yeah. have you got so angry? How have you got so awful? And some of the comments he's putting out, I was just like, right, I'm out. I don't want anything to do with this person whatsoever. It's horrible to see. Um. So moving back, so I kind of, this is something I was thinking with your book. Um, this might contradict, it might sound like I'm contradicting a lot of what you're saying in the book. That's, I, I, that's not the case. It's the opposite. But I did, I, I wrote it down because this is something quite like deep. Like it's, okay. it's quite deep thinking, I think. Anyway, so there's, so I'm, I'm about to study philosophy in September. Okay. So I've been looking at this idea of like free will and the idea that we can do what we want. And there's, a, there's an idea that that's not the case. It's an illusion. Like, we don't actually have any free will. We're just a culmination of everything that's happened until this point. So being brought up where we're brought up, the country we're in, the, the society we're in, our friends, stuff like that. That's, that's everything that me saying this to you, I'm not choosing to say it. It's just, do you know what I mean? External factors. Yeah. Yeah. up to that. So... And it's, if, we, if we put that in perspective to the book, I wouldn't be reading the book. I, we wouldn't be having this conversation. If I didn't go to Queen's Ferry High School and I didn't get um, taught by your wife, yep. my, favorite, my favorite teacher in that school. <laughs> um, so does that, do, you, do you think that contradicts um, what you say in the book? Or do you think it does the opposite? Because, I mean, if we're thinking we don't have any free will, me reading that book will do something for me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Very, um, it's a tricky one. 
Man, that is deep, Gregor. <laughs> That's the only one. That's the only the only deep. Question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm all right with it. I'm all right with it. I mean, I get as you as you've read in the book, chapter six. Yep, I got a bit deep. Um, yeah. uh, more than I was expecting to. I might add. Um, <clears throat> man, that's a good one. Right. I think. Whew, so I do believe that our upbringing, I guess, um, does have an input and does play a factor in who we become. Um, there's a book, I'm trying to remember, there was a book I read years ago by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, what was it called? Outliers. Outliers? I'm maybe making this up. No, I think it's called Outliers. And I'm sure... I'll put it in the notes when I, I'll find out. Yeah, I'm, I'm, sure that, I'm sure that's what this book was about. It was about how, where you're brought up, this, that, next thing, and it all plays that part in where you are today um, and, and, and who you become. Um, I don't know how to answer that question without probably <laughs> making the whole thing really confusing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fair That's enough. a tough one, but it's yeah. going to play on my mind, Gregor, so thanks for that. Good, good. Uh, that, that'll make me happy. Um, <laughs> so we'll try, we'll try an easier one. <laughs> so do you think... Do you think it's important to be doing something you want to do right now and instead of you get a lot of people who maybe do a job right now that they don't want to do that they hate and they're looking into the future they're either make more money in the future if they keep going with that job but they'll still end up with a job they don't want to do do you think it's important to no matter what be doing something you want to do now still pushing to be like pushing yourself um in i think i think it's important to see the good in what you're doing now um, there, there are an awful lot of us out there doing something which is a means to an end uh, but what you don't want to do is wish the now away to get to the end um, I think you know I one of the things I talk about in the book is you know when I was a teenager I wanted to make it like what what even is that like what what does that even mean and I found myself in my 20s still wanting to make it but what, what does that mean and it wasn't until my first attempt at comedy all came crashing down around me and I look back and I think it took me all over the world I met the best people I've ever met in my life, had the most extraordinary life experiences. I didn't become a millionaire from it and I didn't, I didn't get my own TV show. So did I fail or did I actually have the best time ever? And it took me years to look back and go, I totally made it. If, if making it is being happy and being content and forming brilliant relationships and being creative, you know, with your brain, like, that for me is now that's making it. So I think um, there's nothing. So to go to your, your question, then I don't think there is any problem with people doing something now to get to somewhere else. The problem lies where in the now, if you are hating it, if you are not feeling grateful for, for where you are and what you have. Um, Cause even in the work that I do now, like there's moments I can't, I, you know, I, I don't enjoy it, but I know that it doesn't matter what I do in my life, doesn't matter what your job is, there's going to be bits of it that you don't like as much. There's going to be bits that are a bit more tiring than others, bits that are a bit more stressful or irritating. irritating. And you're going to meet a lot of people who are arseholes. You just, you just are. Um, but how you choose to see that is, for me, that's, that's the key part. It's how you, it's the perspective that you create for yourself. It's the context that you put it in for yourself. And I mentioned earlier that you are what you think. And if you want to spend your whole day thinking 
that this is rubbish. This is terrible. The world's against me. I hate this. I'm bored. I'm fed up. Well, guess what? You're, you're probably going to feel like that for a long, long time. So for me, it's just making sure that we get our thinking sorted. Um, you are what you think. And I also believe that thoughts become things. You know, the more we focus on a particular way of thinking, the more it starts to come out of you. And that's what you start putting out into the world. Um, and if what you're putting out to the world is particularly negative, the chances are you'll draw in a lot of other negative people. You'll find yourself surrounded by people like that. And it's that downward spiral. And then it's hard to get to whatever it is that you set out to go to in the first place. Yeah, I think, well, that, the idea of making it that part in the book really struck a chord with me because when I first started this podcast, it was with the idea of, I'll do this podcast for a wee while and then someone will pick it up. Then they'll, they'll pay me for it and yeah. I'll be famous and stuff like that. And then the more I actually thought about it, I wrote an article on this specifically, um, was if I did this podcast for 10 years, once a month, and I spoke to all these interesting people and I didn't make a penny from it, I probably lose, lost money from it. I, that, I, would, I would say that's a success because that's yeah. 10 years of talking to people that not a lot of other people will be able to speak to. Yeah, I, th I think you're absolutely spot on. And I think the amount of connections you'll make, the amount of stories you'll be able to share, not, not just between the, like the two of us, but to, to the world, the, the, um, the things you'll learn, the, the ideas that the plants in your head that you might go and pursue. I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, we, um, myself and a, a friend of mine, Kevin uh, McMahon, uh, who's a fellow performer. Quantum. Sorry? Quantum. Well, ah, <laughs> uh, yep, yep, yep. Well, for the benefit of of your listeners, I better explain why you corrected me there. Um, so Kevin's real name is Kevin McMahon. His stage name is Kevin Quantum. He is uh, described as a a magician, um, a scientist magician hybrid, uh, and he's a very successful uh, performer who. Uh, is on Britain's Got Talent at the moment, albeit that's all on hold with, with everything that's been going on. But, uh, and him and I performed in a show called The Colour Ham with uh, another performer called Colin Cloud for many, many years. And um, so we started doing our show-offs podcast uh, during lockdown. And when we were, just to go back to your point there, we, when we were looking to do this, we were like, right, let's do a wee online course to make sure we, we know what we're doing here and what the best platforms are and you know, we used, so we chose like StreamYard and Captivate and all these kind of things, made sure it had a decent microphone and decent camera and whatever else. Um, but right at the start, we sat down and said, right, why are we doing this? Uh, and uh, the answer was um, because we love talking to each other. And, and, and that was it. And we want to meet some cool people. And that's it. And we want to pay, make people smile. That's it. Um, and we said, as soon as this becomes like it did when we were doing when we were at the top of our game with the colour ham and it was taking us all over and we were doing sellout runs at the fringe and playing London and all this sort of stuff, um, it stopped being fun because the stress and the pressure and the expectations uh, were just becoming too much. And actually our relationships were getting strained. We were talking to each other less and less. We were finding it hard to find time to rehearse with each other. And we said that the whole thinking behind the podcast is to take all the lovely bits and make sure that none of the rubbish bits happen. And if it gets stressful, if we start getting annoyed with each other, we just call it a day. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's important that wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, even if you do a job that you don't really enjoy, 
I think it's worth making the effort and taking the time to see the, the good stuff, to see and hear and feel and share as many positives in your life as you possibly can. Um, you know, we're, we're not here very long. You know, we don't, we don't live for very long when you think about it. It's 4,000 weeks. Uh, that, that, that won't sound a lot to many people, but it's, it's 4,000 weeks. I think that's what, 20, is it 29, 28 or 29,000 days or something like that. It's not, it's not much, you know, but, but that's 28 or 29,000 opportunities to get out your bed every day and make an effort to, to feel good and to look after yourself and to put some goodness out in the world. And do you know what, Gregor, right now, the world needs a bit of goodness. I think going going to that as well. It's four thousand weeks is um, your life. And the other thing, if we do it specifically for people, is when when a person moves out of their parents' house, they've spent I think it's eighty percent of their time with their parents they're ever going to spend. So, yeah. like that's another thing to maybe keep in mind with with on your phone when you're with your parents, with you're in your family. Just remember that 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 time is you've not you've not got that much time. Well, no, that's it, and I think. Um... You know that 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 resonates with me. I mean, I, I I lost my dad, and I mean, I remember, you know, when when he died. Um, albeit there wasn't, um, I wasn't as much of a a phone user, shall we say, at that at that point. I just always remember thinking, man, you know, didn't get very long with with them, you know, and and yeah, life's life life is. Uh, they say it's short, and uh, you know, people talk about how you you only live once. Well, actually, you you don't. You you live. These twenty-eight, twenty-nine thousand moments, you know, you die once. Um, I describe it in the book as, 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 you know, story writers talk about beginning, middle, and an end. And I've got a friend that's an author who, uh, who talks about the the saggy middle uh, of a book um, and how you know it's easy to get it all kicked off and it's easy to bring it to an end, but it's that bit in the middle that you lose people. And yet, life is a big sandwich. You know, you're born. That's the easy bit. Not for mum. That's really difficult for her. But for you, you don't have to do anything. Yeah. You die. Now, it might not be particularly pleasant, but, but you're, it's going to happen. The bit in the middle, the filling, that's, that's up to you. And, and um, life is just a big sandwich, and you're either going to have a shit sandwich <laughs> or something spectacular. And whilst there's a lot of external things influence that, there are huge there is a huge number of moments in life where we get to determine what, what that looks like and feels like. And I think it's worth the effort. Yeah. How, so lastly, with these kind of idea questions, how do you deal with self doubt or, or how do you mask it effectively then? That's maybe yeah. So your first question, how do I deal with it very badly? <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know, I, I came to a, a realization when I was writing, uh, life will see you now that I have had real moments in my life where I've really self-doubted myself like really been really down on myself really critical full-on um, imposter syndrome you know I, I I'm very fortunate now that I get to speak at some incredible events meet some incredible people and I stand off at the side of the room just thinking why am I here why why you know I remember getting booked by Nike to to fly they wanted to fly me down to london to talk to their um their a uh, one of their creative teams um and i remember thinking why why has the director of marketing at nike phoned me 
Um, and it turns out he's read my books and likes how I think and what I say. And but mate, the whole the whole journey, I I I was just shitting myself. You know, apologies for a wee swear word there, but I was just I was I, I was absolutely shitting myself. Um, and I remember getting in the room and I met him and we were chatting away and and he said, right, the team will be in any minute. And I'm just thinking, this is insane. Like, why why, why have they come to me? I'm just an ex-primary school teacher. So I do doubt myself a lot and I've managed to perform my way through many, many situations. Um, I think it's important that people know that it's okay to have self-doubt. It's okay to be anxious uh, about things. You know, we, we need anxiety to live. You know, it keeps us alive. Um, most people have that anxiety or a bit of self-doubt at that sort of low level. Um, if you're like me, unfortunately, every now and then it, it can flare up um, and sometimes it can absolutely explode and cause me real real problems, real sleepless nights for weeks and weeks and weeks. And But that's been me since I was a kid. Um, I think... I think accepting it, you know, this, this is a bit of a sort of mindfulness trick. I think, you know, when you are doubting yourself or if you are worried or anxious about anything, you know, you acknowledge it, let it in, show it around, but um, show it the door as well. You know, don't, don't let it hang about too much because if you do, well, it'll stay with you for a very, very long time. Um, you know, I had a, my most recent run in was Easter 2018, having gone years and years with not, you know, thinking, oh yeah, I don't, I don't really have anxiety anymore like I did as a teenager. Um, and I organized an event for 12,000 people at the Hydro in, in, in Glasgow. Um, and as I was doing that, everything was going great. You know, we, we had 14,500 people registered instantly in 24 hours. We had to close the website and I'm going, yeah, it's going to be amazing. I'd raised loads of money to make it happen. This is going to be great. And then slowly but surely, we things like people saying, ah, you know, a few schools won't turn up, you know that. And I'm going, well, of course I know that. But they're going, yeah, but it'll be quite a few. You'll probably have two or three empty, uh, two or three thousand empty seats on the day. And I'm going, but hang on, why would they do that to me? And they're going, no, no, that's normal because they're schools. Things happen. And then somebody's saying, yeah, you'll probably not be able to pull it off. And I'm going, well, hang on, why would you say that to me? And all these seeds of doubt just started coming in. Uh, I had a full-on meltdown, Gregor, uh, in 2018. I'm talking three months of not sleeping. Um, had to go to the doctor. I, I, I wasn't. I didn't need any. I didn't, well, no, I chose not to take any medication, but I had to, I had to work unbelievably hard to overcome that and get through that. Mm. Um, and it, which is very hard when your job is to get up in front of lots of people and, you know, be the star of the show and, and perform and inspire and lift a room of people and, and be the funny guy, uh, when actually all you want to do is lie in your bed and cry, um, for 24 hours. So, um, I think, um, I realize I've gone off on a bit of a tangent there, but I think when it comes to how you think and feel about yourself, you know, we are our own worst critics, our own worst enemies, and we can give ourselves an absolute kicking and we don't need to do that. You know, it's okay to doubt yourself, but uh, don't, don't do it for too long. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to be aware of your time. Are we still okay for time? Yeah. 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 Perfect. So um, we'll move on to the book, which I have here. For awesome. Anyone? There it is. Um, now, for anyone who doesn't know, um, just want to, what it's about? 
So it's called Life Will See You Now. Um, there is also a, a much longer subtitle with a sweary word in it. Um, see it, see it. <laughs> so the subtitle is Quit Waiting for the Light at the End of the Tunnel and Light That Fucker Up for Yourself. Uh, I couldn't believe they said the publisher said yes to that. Yeah. I mean, I know there's, there's a lot of books out there that have swear words on the title and stuff, but I just, I don't know, I just didn't expect them to, to no. say yes. Um, so... Um, Life will see you now for me. I, I, I mentioned earlier I had an obsession with comedy growing up. I, have, I had another obsession, which is, which is music. Now, I myself, um, I'm not musical. I don't, I don't play any musical instruments. I would love to. Um, as, as you know, my, my wife is a phenomenal musician and taught music for many, many years before coming a, becoming a deputy head teacher of, of the high school. Um, and she's incredibly talented and our kids are showing that as well and, and and I'm in awe of anybody who's musical but I loved music, still do and I bought the most ridiculous amount of albums um, again this is pre-streaming uh, days, you know, there was no such thing and there were certain albums in my life that from the age of like 14, 15 stayed with me and right now, I mean, I'm 41 now, and there are certain albums that I still go back to. Like, like this morning, um, I went out a, a run this morning. I was meant to be running the London Marathon this year, but of course it's all been postponed and found out that I'm deferring to next year now, which is great, but I'm, I need to keep up the training. So yeah. I was out this morning. I can't run without my music in. And this morning I was running uh, with a, it was a sort of mix uh, playlist that I've created that is just all rock tunes from the 90s when I was a teenager in, in school. And they still make me feel the same way that they did then. So when I was writing the book, I was thinking about one particular album, which as you know, I write about in the book, and it's Dookie by Green Day. And that album for me, um, when I was 14, 15, I, I just remember it, it having this impact where there were certain tracks that lifted me there were certain tracks that made me feel incredible, that blew my mind. There were certain tracks that brought me down. There were certain tracks that made me feel angry. There was tracks that made me feel sad. Um, there was lyrics that excited me. There was lyrics that confused me. There was lyrics that made me go, oh my goodness, I can't believe they're saying that. Um, and then there was a hidden track, um, which came about 10 minutes after the final track ended. And you only, you only heard it if you left the, the cassette or the CD running. Um, and I love the fact that there's a couple of tracks on there that weren't my favorite, but nine months later, they were my favorite. Uh, and you know, the, the growers, if you like, and I wanted to write a book that did that. I wanted to write a book that people would take with them for the rest of their life, that they would go back to, that there would be that chapter or track, if you like, that blew your mind. The one that made you laugh, the one that made you cry, the one that made you go, that's weird. But then six months later in your life, that's the chapter or the track that you needed uh, or the piece of advice that you need. So you're off you go again. And then there's that weird hidden track. Not that there's a hidden chapter, but there is chapter six, Confidently Lost, which has come out of nowhere for some people and, and caused a wee bit of a stir. I've had people from all over the world getting in touch saying, I, I didn't realize that, that you this happens to you. And I thought I was the only one. And it's so lovely to hear and to read you being so open about your, your mental health and all this kind of stuff. So I think um, that was the thinking behind the book was I wanted to create a piece of work that people uh, would, would take with them. But I wanted it to be uplifting. I wanted it to be funny. I wanted it to be not a... Uh, 
let's call it a not a normal personal development or self-help. I don't I don't really like the phrase self-help. Um, not that there's anything wrong with self-help, but um, I think um, I wanted it to be different from the norm. So it's very personal. It's basically just a big story about me. Um, it was funny because it got um, one of the reviews that it got. It was a five-star review, I might add, but the review said, um, this isn't self-help. This is Gav help. He wrote the damn thing for himself. And actually, it wasn't until I read the review that I thought, oh my God, I wrote this at a time when I was really struggling, when I shouldn't have been, because 2018, Gregor, was meant to be the greatest year of my life. On paper, we filled the hydro. Um, my first book came out and instantly became a bestseller. That was Shine. Um, my business was turning over more than it's ever turned over. My family were all healthy. Everything. I moved to a beautiful new house. I ran the London Marathon for the first time. I was the fittest I'd ever been. Like Everything, everything on paper was perfect. But I took on too much. Um, going back to our conversation earlier about being busy, my God, was I busy being busy? And it broke me. And it wasn't until that review came in that I realized that I had actually started writing this book as I was coming out of that. And I wrote the book that I needed. And I'm just very, very grateful that it seems to be a book that many other people needed as well. Um, you know, who would have thought that I would release a book like this um, just a few weeks before a global pandemic? Um, yeah. you know, we've had NHS frontline staff getting in touch saying this is the book that's as a team that we've been using to get through this. Yeah. That that there, I mean that I'm I'm out at that point. I'm that that's blown my mind. You know, I, I, yeah. if that's if that was the only bit of feedback I ever got, then that's dream come true stuff right there. You know, I always said if yeah. I'd love to know that somebody bought it that's not my mum or not a, a close family <laughs> friend or a family member. You know, if yeah, if someone who's actually who's got no connection to me whatsoever so i'm sorry gregor you don't count because there is a connection there but um i uh that idea that um someone who's never met me don't know my family and that walks into a shop picks that up off the shelf and goes oh yeah that's the one that yeah. I, that that's enough for me yeah um well the thing the thing i really like about it i think Right now, we're living in a kind of self-improvement, like live your best life world, where there's, there's yeah. um, it's like it's like everyone's cashing in on that. So there's a lot of people like on Instagram with their like vague motivational quotes and stuff like that. And that's not me implying that's what you're doing. It's the opposite. <laughs> um, the thing that I think was different about the book was, well, it's three things actually. I wrote them down. It was three. It was relatability because. There was a lot of things in there where I was reading it. I was like, that's actually me. That was, that's what I was thinking. It's the exact yeah. same thing I was thinking. I just hadn't put it on paper. Real, um, that was relatability, uh, honesty, and vulnerability. I think yeah. too many books, when they talk about self-improvement, they only talk about the very positive stuff, the, 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 way, you, the way you should be trying to be rather than how you might be feeling now. Was, yeah. that, was that like in your mind when you were writing it? Like, were you, try, were you trying to get that across? Um, it... <laughs> Yes and no, I think is the, is the fair answer there. A lot of the stuff in that book kind of came out unexpectedly. Um, you know, I, I, um, I make a lot of notes as I go. So, I, so I've, I'm, I'm writing another two books at the moment. They're not out for a long, long time. Um, the first manuscripts don't need to be handed in until I think it's August ne next year. So it's a long way off. So I'm at the stage where I'm not, I'm not sitting writing the book. I've just got you know, talk about phone again, phones again, like my phone is just loaded with 
sentences, words, yeah. phrases that I hear that I just think, oh, that's nice. I'll bash that in and I might use it, I might not. Um, and I think the there was some, some of the stuff in that book is very deliberate, but there's stuff that as I was typing, I just, I just found it all coming out. Um, and, you know, I'll go back to chapter six again for a moment, which I mentioned is called Confidently Lost. Um, I hadn't planned on that going in. Um, I found the wee notebook where I had written my thoughts from the hot tub at 4 a.m. in the morning as I was having my 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 uh, massive wobble, if we can call it that. Um, I When I found that, I was like, Do you know, I'm going to try and write something around that and see what comes out, but it's not for the book. I just, I think it was just for my own mind. And it was probably the bit of the book that, that, that actually came out most naturally. Um, but then I had that dilemma of, do I put it in? Do I show that much vulnerability? Do I show mu- that much openness and honesty? Because it goes against everything that I'm meant to be in my, in my work. Because um, people are always, like, you tend to only see me on a stage being really positive and upbeat about life. But of course, I'm a human being. And um, that means I'm no different from, from anybody else. And I have my ups and downs, my great days and crap days and so on. So I think, um, yeah, I think there's aspects of the vulnerability I wanted to be in there, but I think I went much further than I was planning to. And it was only when I read it as a, a whole piece, as a, as a finished body of work that I kind of went, oh my God, okay, it works. Um, sent it off to the publisher and I, I said to them, look, I want, I know your your proofreaders, your copy editors will go through this, but the two people, my agent, I said to to her and the head of marketing, I want you to read it first as a as a reader, not as a judge. I want you to read it as if you'd bought it, and I need you to be honest with me. And they both came back and just went, "Oh my god, just leave it as is." I was like, "Okay." So, but I was really nervous uh, about it coming out. Um, we had a book launch at Watterson's on Princess Street in Edinburgh. And of course, that was my first ever proper book launch where there's right. lots of people turn up, you know, and it's not, again, it's not just my mum. It's it's lots of strangers turned up and there was over 100 people that I don't know. Well, some of them I knew, but there was a lot I didn't. And um, I, I remember thinking, and there was a, a live interview that night and the guy, a friend of mine called John Loughton, who's an amazing speaker, um, I asked him to host it for me, um, and he said, "I'm going to talk to you about that chapter." And oh man, I, I didn't sleep the night before. And but it turns out, you know, you know, 41, and I'm only just discovering that we're all we're all essentially the same. You know, everybody everybody has these moments. So yeah, I think there's bits in there that weren't planned, uh, and bits uh, that that uh, definitely were. Yeah, and so we've we've spoken about the podcast before. Um, but one thing I found that you you did you did episodes live. How how do you think that changes? How how is that diff- how is that different to doing it recorded? You where you can edit it and yep. you have to tiptoe around what you're saying stuff like that. Yeah. So what's interesting is actually we started out not doing it live and we started recording a whole bunch of them at the start of lockdown. Uh, and we had I think it was six episodes um, recorded um, where Kev was in his house always has mine and then um, we used we used zoom as we are now to record but we also had you know the not that it's anything to do with this zoom you know the zoom microphones 
Um, we had, yeah. I don't know if you've seen it, so we had them. Um, I had one in my house, he had one in his. So we, it was to make sure that the sound was absolutely top notch. And we did a couple with a couple of guests and, and we were really enjoying it. Um, but then we were kind of like, we felt like there was something missing. Um, now, bear in mind, the two of us have been performing live for over 20 years. And that's the thing that was missing, was a live audience. Just that extra wee edginess, just that wee extra buzz of knowing that it's happening right now. And of course, we use um, a platform called StreamYard. And it's great because people can com- converse with us. Now, it's okay. It's 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 just written comments, but it's brilliant. You know, people can leave comments. We can bring in questions. You can bring people in. Uh, and it, so it feels, I guess it feels a wee bit more like a, a live radio show, I guess. Right. Um, but yeah, no, that, that was it. It was just, we felt for us as performers, I mean, the show's called Show Offs um, because we are just show offs, really. I mean, it's not about show offs that are like dicks. It's the, it, you know, yeah. show offs as in anybody who's ever just dared to show themselves off their thinking, their work, their creativity, their art. Uh, their business, what, their skill, their their passion, their talent, whatever it is, anybody that's ever just thought, you know what, I'm going for it. I'm going to put myself out there to the world to be judged, to be looked at, and um, they might love it, they might not. Um, so, yeah, it, that live element just brought that wee bit of excitement back. Um, mm-hmm. And do we have to tiptoe around? We, we do. Uh, I mean, uh, I think... Um, you know, if I go back to some of the comedy we did together uh, in the Colour Ham, I mean, there's probably some of that wouldn't really be acceptable now. I mean, don't get me wrong, it wasn't it wasn't like horrendous, but I just, with everything that's gone on, I just think there's yeah. one or two wee things. So yeah, you do need to be wary of what you say, but we go out at nine o'clock um, and that's deliberate as well. So that if we, it's okay to swear at that point. Um, and this podcast is not, it's not a business-related podcast because I thought about doing that. I was going to do my Gavin Oates Life Will See You Now podcast and it'd be all mindset, inspiration, creativity stuff. I don't know. There was just, there was something about getting back on a screen with Kev and just yeah. being silly. So that's, <laughs> that's what it is. It's a chance. It's yeah. an hour out. It's an hour out of your week to just forget all about work, forget about COVID and just enjoy some fun conversations. And what um, so? What guests have you had on, and what guests will will you are you planning on having on? So, um, so our, the first guest we had was uh, Jason Byrne, uh, who is um, I, I mean a world renowned stand up comedian. Um, you know, I think he's the 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 one comedian in the world who has played the Fringe more than any other. Um, I think he's done a sellout show at the Fringe every year for the last. I mean, I think it's I think it's since the early nineties. Um, he is, uh, he is just a force of nature. The guy is brilliant. And we, we, him and I bonded a few months ago. He happened to buy my, uh, my books and we just ended up getting in touch and, and we've become good friends and yet we've never, never actually met. Um, but we chat on the phone and so he's great and, and he's, he's a superstar in the world of comedy. So he was brilliant. Um, and then, uh, a week or two ago, we had a guy called Larry Kenny. And Larry Kenny is a voiceover artist, um, and he was the voice of Lino in a show called Thundercats, which was on when we were wee boys. Um, and we were talking about who we would want, and Kev jokingly said, I want Lino from Thundercats. And 
somehow somehow the dude yeah. went and made it happen so that was amazing that was really cool i mean that was as i mentioned earlier i'm 41 now but that instantly took me back to being five yeah. you know <laughs> and six years of age and just thinking this is amazing um future guests um we have we have a couple uh, in the works who i i won't name because it's not it's not guaranteed right. but people that we are desperate to get on um are uh, someone called tiffany who's a pop star from the 80s who might not mean anything to you gregor i'm not sure no i know, uh, I know. but um, from, from listening to the podcast i know just based on the song i, I know the song i would never well, I, yeah well this is it <laughs> yeah this is it um and that was that was due to our, our first first show uh deciding who our dream guest would be so she's mine can't can't get a response at the moment at all uh, from anybody. But you know, we have a couple more of our friends from the comedy world lined up. Um, but we are we are going to start reaching out to some really interesting, obscure people from from really different walks of life because we don't want our podcast to be normal in any way whatsoever. Because originally, when we started looking at guests we could have on, we were starting to realise it's just the same guests that every other show is having on. So. Yeah. So that's why we started thinking about um, people like Lionel from Thundercats and Tiffany. So, yeah, reaching out to a few people at the moment, but don't want to give any names just yet. But we're hoping to have people from, like I say, all interesting, unique, bizarre, weird worlds, you know, who are up for coming on and uh, sharing their ability to show off. Yeah. And so you play, you play a lot of games on the podcast. Have you got a quick one we can do now? Right, okay. Um, how uh, how many weeks have you tuned in? Um, two. I've right. listened to the first two episodes. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. So there's a game we play on the, the show called um, Word or Not a Word. And, okay. Um, I'm now, I see you've caught me out here because I'm now trying to remember what the what the words were. I think I think in, in the first week, the word was... Overwhelmed. Yeah. Is it a word or is it not a word? Uh, or sorry, whelmed. Uh, yeah. yeah but, uh, and of course, whelmed is a word uh, because it turns mm-hmm. out that overwhelmed actually isn't a word uh, because yes. they both mean the same thing. Uh, I'm trying to remember, was week two bigly? Um, the, two, the two games I remember was that one and the one with the two words and you're trying to get from one word to the other word through association. <laughs> Which was just crazy. <laughs> Bananas in pajamas, it's called. Um, yeah, okay. yeah, that's that's um, yeah, that's right. Are you up for a game of bananas in pajamas? Yeah, let's do it. What okay. I should have done is probably asked um, ask someone who's going to be listening. What? Give me two words because now I'm trying to think of very obscure words. Yeah, well, no, actually, I'm going to give you the words and then and then. Oh. So I think. Oh, I see, I see. But, I think okay. it's, yeah, I think it's only fair that you you put the effort in here. Sure, sure. Um, so just to explain to everyone then, uh, basically bananas and pajamas is this idea that you get two words and you, so let's, for example, start with banana and you have to find your way through to the word pajamas. So bananas are yellow. Um, the sun is yellow. You, you might wear shorts and t-shirt, uh, in the sun because it's warm, uh, and a shorts and t-shirt are a type of clothing as are pajamas, right? That was a rubbish example, but that is essentially... <laughs> How yeah. do you get from one to the other? So your words are goat. Oh god, okay. And submarine. Goat and submarine, okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> You're gonna be regretting this now. Yeah, I really am. 
Right, okay. Let me think of my feet. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna waffle. Goat field plants rain water. Oh, I see what's submarine. happening. There you go. <laughs> Easy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's uh it's much easier than you realise. Uh, yeah. But uh, right, so the, and the other game I was talking about the other was word or not a word. So there's one yeah. week where we used the word bigly, which was a word that President Trump, of course, uh, yeah. used uh, a couple of years ago and got absolutely <laughs> ripped for. So uh, is bigly a word or not? See, I think it probably could be a word. I feel like it's one of those strange words that like Shakespeare would have used that doesn't sound like betwixt. It just doesn't sound like a word. And we yeah. don't use it anymore. Yeah. I think it is a word. Yeah, it is. It is. And yeah. it's so disappointing yeah. because we're yeah. to laugh at Donald. Uh, yeah. but, uh, he knew yeah. he knew it's a word. He knows. Yeah, and then and then <laughs> the other week there, uh he uh we used the word friend lily. F R I E N D L I L Y friend Lily as That's in word, spoke to me in a friend Lily way. Uh-huh. Uh, and it turns out it is a word. It <laughs> is a word. Friend Lily is a word, and that's the context you would use it. You know, so I would say, you know, uh, Gregor's um, a really friend Lily way about him as a show, as a host on his podcast. Thanks. I mean, it's well, ridiculous. You wouldn't know, I wouldn't know what, what you mean, but <laughs> no, <laughs> that's weird. It means okay. exactly the same as friendly, but friend yeah. Lily. That's a strange one. There was another <laughs> one that Trump used. What was it? Confetti. Remember he tweeted oh, that? That's oh, not yeah. a word. <laughs> no, 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 no. De- definitely not. Definitely yeah. not. I think... Uh, yeah, that man's quite something. That's that's yeah. another show for another day. Yeah, definitely. Um, right, so the, the only thing I've got left to do is just a quick fire questions. So yeah, still that's okay good. for time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I should mention these questions. Um, these are from Tim Ferriss, who's an yeah, author. He done, this is his, his questions, and some of them are from James Lipton from the Actors Studio. Those kind of yeah. fun questions. So I Love it. Don't want to steal them. Um, so best purchase of £100 or less? Uh, best purchase of a hundred pounds or less. Um, that's a really good question, actually. I'm going to go with my record player. Ah, that's a good one. Okay. Um, most gifted book. So, what gift? What book do you give away the most, or recommend the most? Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch Album. Okay. What's that about? So, Tuesdays with Maury is all. It's a. It's a true account of uh, of Mitch Album, the, the, the author of, of an experience he had in life where um, he'd, he had left school, gone into the world of sports journalism. Um, life wasn't quite where he wanted it to be. Um, and he found out that his old teacher, Maury, uh, had taken very ill. And this is the, a teacher that he was particularly inspired by in school. Um, and he got the opportunity to actually... Uh, he felt compelled to come visit him in hospital, uh, having not seen him for, I don't know, 20 years or something like that. And he was so inspired by his conversation with Maury that they agreed that he could come and visit him again. And he started to visit him every Tuesday. And every Tuesday, Maury essentially taught him a life lesson. And that's all you need to know. And it's called Tuesdays with Maury. And it's probably the first kind of personal development book that I ever read. Uh, it made me cry, um, which I wasn't expecting, and is to this day still my favourite. Wow. Okay. 
um, that'll be added to my list. Um, so if you could have a big billboard with any anything on it, anything written on it, what would you have? Um, I would have the phrase Giat Laldi. <laughs> Brilliant. That's You'd it. have to have that in Scotland. Otherwise Absolutely, yeah. You can work anywhere else. <laughs> um, what, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Um, oh, so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so much. Um, yeah. I think the key thing would be um i i think the key thing would be to it's, it's maybe really obvious but just just something like worry less yeah and i and i, I would probably tell my 30 year old self that and my 10 year old self that yeah. but there's a lot of advice i would give myself at 20 and you know there'd be certain things i'd be like don't do that you know don't <laughs> make that choice um <laughs> And definitely do that because that that's going to be awesome. But um, uh, yeah, just just worry less because it's yeah. it's plagued me for a long time. Is has has worrying. Yeah. Um, favorite word? Gallus. Right. Least favorite word? Um, my least favorite word. Um, mm. Probably um, desk. Good one. I like that. Um, favorite curse word. Shite. <laughs> what um, what helps you best creatively? Um, two things: uh, running and my kids. Right. And uh, what hinders you creatively? Um, my unbelievable ability to overthink things. Right. Um, sound you love? My kids laughing. I actually, I could have guessed that. <laughs> <laughs> um, least sound you hate, hate the most. The sound that I hate the most. Um, mm. So, this is really random. When when I'm on the phone to my mum, uh, so I live in Edinburgh, my mum lives through in Troon, uh, where I grew up, and um, my mum's one of these people that just can't sit still. Uh, so when I'm talking to her on the phone, I phone her every day, because she's, she's on her own, uh, obviously, because we, we lost dad, but um, I phone her every day, and she does stuff when she's on the phone, and she goes in and out of the fridge a lot. I don't know why, I don't know what she's doing, but, but my mum's fridge... When it opens, does this, <laughs> and 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 when it when it closes, it also goes. <laughs> right? So when I'm on the phone to my mum, and again, yeah. I don't know what she's doing, Gregor, but there's like <laughs> like seven, eight, nine times on one short phone call where you just say, <laughs> see that noise there? I hate it. You sure it's not her? <laughs> Do you know? It could be her joints. I don't know. Um, I'll tell her you said that. <laughs> what um what profession other than your own would you most want to do? Um I think uh I think it would be an actor. Um I don't you know people often say have you got any regrets? And actually I I do. I and I you know there's all these people are like oh no 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 I don't have any you can't you don't have time to regret things. I do have regrets. I think a lot of us have have regrets um and, and one of mine is that i didn't go to drama school 
um because I wanted to I wanted to go to the RSAMD in Glasgow and I wanted to just become an actor and be in theatre and TV and movies and just perform. Um, now, I did have a huge number of years on stage with the comedy, but yeah, I, 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 would, I would have gone to drama school. And what about least, what profession would you least like to do? Um... I think, uh, God, there's so many things I just don't think I would be able to do. Do you know, I don't know if this is controversial or not, but I don't want to be a nurse. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, I I mean, I respect and admire and love everything that they, I mean, again, you know, that's been so highlighted through this pandemic, but but I don't ever want to have to deal with what they deal with. And that might sound I mean, really selfish, but I just I just think I'd be dreadful at it. There's only there's certain only certain people that can act, that have that mindset to do it, and and, and that's why I respect them so much because I just don't have well, I don't have that mindset anymore. Well, that's the thing. Like my wife Ali, like she was saying, you know, if if she was to have a change of career ever, she would be a midwife. I'm like, oh, nah. <laughs> and yet, when that's our right kids there. were born, well, is it when our kids were born, <laughs> midwives were the the greatest humans I'd ever mm. met in my life. But I yeah. I couldn't do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and to finish up, if God exists, what do you want him to say when you get to the pearly gates? Um, would I want to know? No. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, somebody asked me a similar thing not that long ago, actually, but would you want to know? Would you want to know the day that you're going to die? And I'm like, I don't think so. Um, what about you? Yeah. Would you would you want to know when that's going to happen? Oh no, no, no! The question was, what, what would um, what do you want God to say? Oh, sorry. So I, I, <laughs> you say I was like, okay, he doesn't want to answer the question. Fair enough. <laughs> no, no. Oh, sorry, sorry. I, I, uh, I but no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to know when I when I'm going to die. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you said, um, <laughs> would you want God to say when you're going to get? To the pearly yeah, gate, okay, okay. not what you want him to say when you get. So no, I've I've picked that wrong. Yeah, okay. Uh, I still don't want to know when I'm going to die though. Um, yeah. What would I want him to say? Um, uh, oh man, I would, I would want him to say, "See through those gates, Gav. Your 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 dad's there." Yeah, yeah. That's that that that, I, that would be. Yeah, that would be awesome to think that, well, firstly, I don't believe in God, but at the same time, um, it would be amazing to find out that actually there is something and that that something can say to me, your, your old man's waiting for you through there. That would be, that'd be pretty special. And that's a lovely place to finish. So thank you so much for your time. The thing, I was very much looking forward to this one because... First day I did, my plan was to do topics like this, like like productivity and stuff like that. Like, not easy topics, but yeah. fun topics. And the problem is the news just blew up the past two months with yeah. all these stories. And I was like, I can't just ignore these stories. I'm going to have to do them. So it was episodes where I'm having to think really seriously and tiptoe and try and think what I'm trying to say. So this one was one I was really looking forward to. So thank you for your time. Well, no, thank you for having me. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Brilliant. 
And so that is episode four. Thank you very much for listening. If you could, again, if you missed it at the start, it would mean a great deal if you could subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to this. You can also watch it on my YouTube channel, which is GT Media UK, all one word. Again, thank you to Gavin Oates for taking the time to speak. I hope you found some form of inspiration or motivation from our conversation. I definitely did, along with some laughs. So stay tuned for next month with episode five of In Context and take care.